The views expressed on the following broadcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. The dialogue on this show should not be considered as medical, psychiatric, or professional advice and is delivered only as personal opinions from the host, co-host, and guest. KHLT Recovery Broadcasting is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Chasing after this world makes me tired. Now, here's your host, Eve D., Bruce H., and the Monty Man. Well, greetings, recovery family. How the heck are you guys today? Welcome to another fine episode of Open Forum here at TakeTallRadio.com on your internet dial. It is so good to have you with us. Uh, we broadcast or we broadcast this show on Wednesdays, but we tape it on Mondays. And uh, I was uh, at the store this morning and the checker behind the counter was like, happy Monday, you know, and I said, well, indeed it is. And then we both realized that we are not the norm. <laughs> Most people don't like Mondays. But she said to me, she says, and she knows me, she says, Monty, you know what? How we react to life on Monday will set the stage for the rest of the week. I thought, what a cool thing to say, you know, from from my grocery checker at my local grocery store. So, uh mm. Thank you, Denise. Her name is Denise. Thank you very much for that. Eve D., welcome. Thank you. Bruce H., welcome. Thank you. And, Would uh, you like a little trivia about Monday? Uh, yeah, tell me. Uh, the, the Monday's the same the world around. Over in England, they have what they call a Monday hammer. It's a 20-pound maul. Really? Mm-hmm. What do they do with it? Bang their head with it. <laughs> <laughs> and they call it a Monday hammer because Mondays are... The same. You know, nobody likes them. Nobody likes them over there. Nobody either. likes to swing that ball. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, hey, listen, we we have got a real treat for you listeners uh, this week. It's a real a treat for me. Um, I have a friend that I've been friends with now for years and years, and uh, we were college buddies. Um, we did the college thing together. We partied together. We lost contact. And then here a few years ago, we were put in contact uh, via Facebook. Uh, so you can say all the bad things you want to about Facebook, but one of the really cool things about it is it brings people back together. And Brent Cook is on the phone with us. He is uh, coming to us from Longmont, Colorado. Uh, Brent is one of my advisory board members. <clears throat> and uh, uh, actually, Brent was the first advisory board, official advisory board member. Then Chris Schroeder, our chairman, was, was the second. Uh, Brent, welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing? Good. What's it like in Longmont, Colorado right now? Well, you know, uh, we had a little bit of rain. I'm sure you guys heard about that. We had some pretty bad flooding here a couple of weeks or about a month ago. Right. But uh, people are getting back to normal. It's um, We weren't too Im- impacted on this side of town, but uh, a lot of people really got it. So our uh, heart and prayers go out to, to those folks. A lot of people are still not even back in their houses. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was just like a mile away from you where cars were yep. underwater and everything, right? 
Yeah, I think I sent you a couple of pictures, yeah. uh, aerial pictures, and it looked like the whole place was flooded. We're kind of up on a little knoll, so we didn't get it. But, uh, wow, it's it's tough uh, driving around. And the mountain communities are really hit hard. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, uh, the reason I asked Brent on, on the show today is the topic this week uh, is the three types of drinkers that the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, talks about. And uh, Brent is... <clears throat> he comes to us, and one of the reasons I wanted him on our board was it's it's one thing to have everybody on your on your board when it comes to a recovery uh, uh, radio station, ministry, whatever, uh, that are all re- recovered alcoholics or addicts, uh, you know. But it's another thing to have somebody who's a family member of, and we needed that perspective. And uh, Brent, uh, the interesting thing about Brent, uh, listeners, is that. Uh, Brent is has two brothers. Uh, one I would <clears throat> I would refer to as an active addict. The other one is uh, an alcoholic in recovery. He is currently his name is Tim, and he is currently uh, um, in a, a ministry right now called City Team. Mm. And this is the first time in Tim's life he's ever stuck something like this out to to this degree. Correct, uh, Brent? Yeah, I think. Uh Probably taking away his keys had something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> you think? I, you think? I, I, was, I was really, really amazed uh, at the program. I, of course, went online and did the research, and, and uh, it's it's completely legit, and it's it's a year, I think it's a year-long process, isn't yeah. that right? Yep, it's a year-long, you bet. Wow. Well, well, the thing is, and Dana's his other brother. Is and, it, it faith-based? Yes. Is it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the thing that's so interesting about, um, and, and we're gonna we're gonna talk be talking about Tim a little bit here today. And I know Tim doesn't mind because I'm gonna be having Tim on when he graduates from City Team uh, to share his experience, strength, and hope. But um, <clears throat> we're focusing on the alcoholic uh, this week. We're not talking really about the narcotic addict um, and, and there's a reason for that because I, I want to focus on the three types of drinkers and <clears throat> Tim and uh, a Brent okay here here's two brothers right who you, you, you got to wonder why and Bruce has had this experience too with his brother one brother drinks parties Parties like everybody else, you know, uh, to, to, for the most part. Get dizzy and goes home. Get dizzy and goes home. <laughs> <laughs> and for us, the party's just starting. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget, and I, I won't say it in detail what went on, but I, I will tell you that it was quite humorous uh, walking into Brent's bedroom and he was jumping up and down on his mattress with his ski poles. Acting like a crazy man, you know. Um, but, you know, doing stuff like that. And, and, and Tim doing the same thing, but Brent saying, well, it's 9 o'clock, time to go to bed. Go to work. I got to go to work tomorrow morning. And, and Tim drinking until he passes out. Mm. Why two guys, you know, uh, brothers, same blood, one um is a at, during a, a short period of his time, life is a heavy drinker and the other one is what the big book refers to as the true alcoholic yes um and and why is that it's a great mystery we mm-hmm. we really don't know but we do know it happens 
Uh, so we're going to be talking about that in in, in much more detail. Uh, but first, we're going to listen uh, to our promo from our brand new sponsor. And I'm so grateful for these guys. Origins Recovery Center in South Padre Island, who also uh, is uh, the owners of Hannah's House, which is the women's center. And Origins is the uh, treatment center that Dr. Phil uses uh, for all the folks that deal with drug and alcohol. And Ben Levinson is the CEO uh, of Origins, and they've been gracious enough to sponsor us for the next 10 months. So uh, here is the promo for Origins. Origins Recovery Centers provides integrated inpatient treatment for substance abuse and co-occurring disorders. At Origins, clients receive expert medical, clinical, and spiritual care individually designed for their needs. Our clients leave Origins with the foundation upon which they will build the rest of their lives. Call now to speak with an admissions specialist. Our toll-free number is 888-843-8935. That's 888-843-8935. Origins, delivering real solutions for real families. We understand that having a loved one caught in the grips of an addiction is a powerless position to be in. And we understand this on a very personal level. We have been there ourselves. Our own families have experienced exactly what you are feeling now. The good news is we are here to direct you in finding a way out. We are Freedom Interventions, providing the direction necessary to get the help for your addicted loved one. Your family has specific needs. We can determine the best approach for your specific circumstances. If an intervention is needed, we will provide the direction required to safely and effectively accomplish the goal of recovery for all. To begin the recovery process for your loved one, call toll-free at 888-762-7557. That's 888-762-7557. And visit our website at freedominterventions.com. Freedom Interventions, providing drug and alcohol interventions and a continuum of care services to clients and their families. All right, uh, welcome back. And uh, this is this is my favorite piece of the show. <laughs> Bruce and Eve just love this. Um, and, and, you know, I got an email from somebody, you guys, uh, this week wanting to know who was behind The Voice uh, of the person that, that introduces trivia every week, and, and, and that that is that is our beloved Cecil. Uh, Cecil, uh, I, I got to tell you, we really appreciate you so much. Well, I appreciate you so much, Monty man. You're just a prince of a guy. You, you know, Cecil, you're you're making me blush right now. You really are. It's embarrassing. Oh, you shouldn't be embarrassed. It's all true. <laughs> Cecil's such a sweetheart. Cecil lives in our computer, um, so so um, Cecil doesn't get out much. <clears throat> now we don't know if Cecil's a a, a man or a woman. <laughs> we just know that Cecil is is uh, living in the computer and comes out to play uh, every week when we tape the show. Cecil, what's new this week uh, on Take Twelve Trivia? Well, here we go. This week, we have a special guest. Who's that? Brent Cook from Longmont, Colorado, will be playing along with us. And I am so excited. He's going to travel through the world of Take 12 Trivia 
with all of us. I'm so excited. All right. That's right. It is time for Take Two. <laughs> I don't know, Brent. You know. Uh, I'm not good at trivia. Oh, join the crowd. <laughs> well, I... I kind of did this. I, I didn't want to leave. But one of the questions is for Bruce, uh, particularly because of the the era of music that he enjoys. Um, well, there we go. But I I I, <laughs> I, I, I did this kind of in in, in honor of, of Brent this week. <laughs> oh God! All right. Here here is question number one. Oh, by the way, it's music trivia, you guys. <clears throat> here is question number one. Which song? Now, Brent, this is how it goes. I'll 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 let you guess first. Then Eve will guess, and then Bruce will guess. And then we'll tell you the answer at, at the end of each guess. Okay, which song by the Eagles contains the following phrase? A shimmering light. Here are your choices. Witchy woman, take it easy, or Hotel California. Brent, you're up first. Hotel California. Eve? Hotel California. Bruce? Hotel California. Now, did you guys just say that because Brent said it? <laughs> we just... <laughs> He was excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, you all three are correct. Uh, and the, the verse is, On a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, warm smell of Kalidas rising up through the air. Up ahead in the distance, I saw a shimmering light. Mm-hmm. My head grew heavy and my sight grew dim. I had to stop for the night. And just just out of curiosity. I you, like witchy woman. You like witchy woman? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do any of you know, this isn't one of the trivia questions, but do you know what Kalidas is? Is it a type of plant? Brent, do you know? Is it, a, is it an herb? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's not a normie. Thank you, smoke it. <laughs> Next week we'll be talking about marijuana. Um, Bruce, what do you think? I have no clue. I don't know what it is. Well, yeah, you're you're kind of right. Um, We thought for years back then, because that's what our focus was, that it was talking about pot, but it's not. Uh, According to Don Henley, the line, warm smell of Kalidas refers to a desert flower with a warm, heady smell. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's uh, here's question number two. Buddy Holly's song, Peggy Sue, Mm -hmm. was named after, and here are your three choices, Holly's girlfriend, the group's drummer's girlfriend, or a convenience store called Peggy Sue's Corner. Brent, you're tr- you, you go first. Okay, that 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 just is way before my time, Monty. Uh, <laughs> I'm going with C. The the uh, convenience store. Yep. Okay, Eve. Well, it's I don't know how far before my time it is, but um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to guess the convenience store only because it sounds like uh, a good answer. Right. The drummer, yeah. the drummer's uh, girlfriend. Bruce is correct. Mm. Holly wrote this song uh, about uh, Peggy Sue Guerron, who was dating Holly's drummer with the crickets, Jerry Allison. Uh, Holly was not involved with Peggy Sue, but like the name for the song, Allison and Peggy Sue eventually got married, but divorced 11 years after. The song was originally going to be named Cindy Lou, <laughs> but Holly changed the name as a favor to his friend, yeah, I, the drummer. I heard that story somewhere, and I, it just when he mentioned it, I couldn't remember who it was, but once he mentioned that, I said, oh, it's the drummer's girlfriend. Yeah. So, Bruce, you, you, you were complaining you didn't get a bell last week, so we're going to give you a bell. 
<laughs> it sounds very much like a gong, but oh well. It's a gongy bell. <laughs> Belly gong. Uh, okay, question number three, and then we'll have our bonus question. The song Horse With No Name, sung by the group America, was written about, and here are your choices, a heroin addict's experience with heroin, a horse named No Name, owned by a member of the band, or things that the author saw while visiting the United States. Uh, 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 Brent, you want to take a stab at it? Uh, well, okay. I kind of know where the band came from, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, uh, yeah, the, uh, the United States, the number C. Okay, Eve? C. Yep. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, the first one, the heroin addict. Heroin addict? Bruce? <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'll have to, to be honest, I have to go along with that. Bring your mic closer to you there, buddy. Yeah, well, I'll lean up like I'm supposed to be. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with, with the heroin addict. That's okay. That's what I thought it was. Well, not. actually, uh, Brent is correct. Yeah. Lead I, singer Dewey Bunnell wrote this when he was 19 years old. All this, although the song is commonly thought of to be around uh, heroin addiction because of the name Horse. Okay, it was about what he saw while, saw while visiting the United States. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Well, he was under the influence of heroin. (laughs) (laughs) I refuse to be wrong on that song. (laughs) English band, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) How do you spell cow, Bruce? (laughs) Cow. G O W E I E I O. (laughs) Wrong. Dag (laughs) nigga. All right, Brent, here you go, buddy. Um, the 70, 70s rock group Journey. Now, think very, very carefully before answering this question. Originated from what city? Here are your choices. Oakland, California, San Francisco, California, or Ventura, California. Brent? What was the group again? Journey. Journey. Well, I would have to say... San Francisco. Okay, Eve? I would have to also because of this, the city by the bay. Ventura. Bruce says Ventura. Well, Eve and Brent are correct. Mm. Journey was formed in San Francisco in 1973 by former members of Santana, and I'm probably going to pronounce this incorrectly, uh, Fromos Bandersnatch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, those are the two bands they came out of. Uh, its strongly <coughs> commercial success occurred in 19, between 1978 and 87. During that period, the band released a series of hit songs, including in 1981, Don't Stop Believing," which became the top-selling catalog track in iTunes history and still is Whoa. today. Mm. Amazing, isn't it? And that is trivia for this week. Yay! Yay! Ah, aren't you glad that's over? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, I did two. How, how many did you get? I don't know. I don't keep track. Yeah. Of that. That's not a good thing for me to keep track uh, of I how think, many. <laughs> I think Brent come out on top of this one. Yeah, so I think he did too. <laughs> that makes me want to break out that game trivia. I hear you. Yep. 
All right, uh, we're going to take our second break. When we come back, the rest of the show is dedicated to the three types of drinkers, the moderate, the heavy, and the real alcoholic. When we come back. Serenity Springs Recovery Center, located on the beautiful east coast of Florida, a unique facility that is committed to providing exceptional individual care in small group settings while utilizing their experienced and dedicated clinical and support staff of licensed therapists and doctors. Visit their website, serenitystringsrecovery.com, or call 386-423-4540. Serenity Springs, making a life-changing investment into your recovery. Hey, this is Tommy Holmes, and this is the Recovery Talk and Positive Music of Take12Radio.com. Okay, uh... Three types of drinkers. In the uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've got the third edition here because it just happens to be my favorite edition. Um, my number two favorite edition. My, f- my favorite is the original manuscripts. But we're going to go with the third edition here. Uh, this is in the chapter, There is a Solution, starting with page 20. <clears throat> and just hang in there with me, folks, while I read this. Starting out, the moderate drinker. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. Of a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, uh, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. But what about the real alcoholic? Now, let me, let me preface this part by saying this. Why does it say the real alcoholic? Well, I believe it's because people, people would uh, categorize somebody as an alcoholic just because they drank. Yes. Or because they got drunk a lot. So, so, so what he's saying here is, well, what about the real alcoholic? And what he was really saying is, what about the alcoholic? These yes. other two aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, he may start off as a moderate drinker. Listen very carefully as I read this. I'm going to suggest something here in a minute. He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Here's the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world. Yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He is a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced, concerning everything except liquor. But in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes, and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself, and then pulls the structure down on his head by a serious series of sprees. 
He is the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet early next morning, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house. To be certain, no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work and then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some a sedative <clears throat> with which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and institutions. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic, as our behavior patterns vary. But this description should identify him roughly. Brent, does this, does this fit, Tim? Absolutely. How so? To a T. Well, you know, my my uh, my brother, uh, uh, my brother. This is difficult for me to talk about. I know, Barry. Uh, you know, it this didn't happen overnight, and um, I mean, can I go back a little bit and just mention my mom a little bit? Yeah, you absolutely sure. You, okay. you bet. All right, my, my mom. My mom. Uh, was an alcoholic. Um, she's no longer with us. She um, was a homemaker and home all day, and my dad worked. And my mom had some traits that I didn't really recognize until I was older in the sense that she she couldn't she couldn't cope well. She didn't handle stress well. Um, she was extremely emotional at times, and the only thing I could think later was that she, you know, she used alcohol to medicate and to to make, to, to relieve her stress. Well, you know, we used to joke that uh, Tim, of all the kids, were, Tim was most like his mother. Uh, Tim had so many traits, we, we would just, we would just laugh about it, and... So I don't know. This is this is difficult. So Tim, when he was younger, it was just he was, you know, hanging out, doing his thing, just like the rest of us. I didn't see any difference in how he behaved. Um, of course, I didn't live with him. I didn't really room with Tim per se after high school. Um, he was four years younger than me. He is four years younger than me. So. Um, we didn't we didn't have too many of the same friends other than you know our high uh, you know my my high school buddy and and a couple other folks and you Monty you know we mm -hmm. all we, we did spend a lot of time together but I didn't notice that Tim really had a problem until after he went into the service um, he 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 went into the army when was it in the seventies I think late 70s. late late seventies yeah yeah. And uh, I didn't see Tim. We wrote letters back and forth, but I didn't really see Tim for about four years. And after after he came out of the service, and this was early '80s, I believe, um, that's when I really saw a change in Tim. And so I, I'm assuming that he. I guess on their time off over there in Hawaii, they spent a lot of time 
uh, you know, drinking mm-hmm. to pass the time on the weekends and uh, that kind of thing. So, so starting in the eighties is when our family was 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 feeling the impact of the alcoholism in Tim. And even though Tim wasn't living with us, you know, mm-hmm. he said he's our family. We we got together on holidays. We got together, uh, you know, birthdays, uh, weekend outings. You know, the the usual thing that families do. But uh, it just, you know, more and more got dysfunctional mm. um, over time. And then in the nineties, it really got bad. So. Yeah, yeah. Um. One one of the things that that you and I have talked about uh, that that Tim that was about Tim was, was that um, he he is very talented. He is a hard worker uh, when he shows up for work. Um, yep. he's the best at what he does when he's doing it. Just like the description that we just talked about, very talented, one of the most compassionate guys you'll ever meet. Um, we had an experience. You mind me sharing the the, the TGI Fridays experience? Oh no, not, not okay. Yeah. We we were uh, <clears throat> the three of us uh, were working a booth at a recovery concert in Los Gatos, and we hadn't seen each other in a long time, and so we kind of you know, buzzed around the San Jose area and so forth. And we went out to dinner um, at TGI Fridays and uh, Tim went to visit the restroom. <laughs> yeah, but he, he stopped off at the bar. <laughs> and, and I, I, you know, I was so giddy about the fact that we were all together again that I didn't, together. I didn't yeah. even realize it at the time. But Tim came yeah. back and, it, and and he wasn't gone much longer than what it would be to go to the bathroom. We're very yeah. good at sneaking around. And he came back and he started getting mad at me. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm like, what is up with him? Well, then he left again and Brent said, he's been drinking. So what was that something that Tim wanted to do? I don't think so. No. Um, I, if, if Tim could step out of his body and see himself, he could, what, he'd be saying, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know. Yep. Uh, and yep. this this is something that you have learned, Brent, uh, over over a period of time, is that this isn't about um, questioning Tim's integrity or questioning Tim's love for you or uh, his desire to do right or wrong. This is about the the uh, the spiritual malady and the physical illness of alcoholism. What I what I want to and thank you so much for sharing that. I know that was difficult for you. Uh, what I wanted to have all all of us, all four of us, look at is something that I maybe you guys were aware of this, but I wasn't really aware of this until I read this again last night. There is a school of thought amongst your 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 more prominent twelve step fellowships and the program, the literature, uh, or people, the interpretation of the literature, I should say, that says that. Alcoholics, um, you you can't turn somebody into an alcoholic. They already are genetically. And I have bought that for a long time. And then I read this again. And there is something that it's saying that I think we miss. 
and that is it suggests that you cannot have the genetic makeup and you can develop alcoholism through abuse. That's one in five, Monty. One in five. One in five yeah. people that are uh, hard drinkers will cross over the cross line. Cross over the line. And they, they believe that that's a, an ad- an additional genetic marker that's not the one that you're born with. Right. But it's another one that predisposed, you know, that just makes you predisposed to it. And they don't really understand it yet. Whereas Brent would not necessarily, he could, I guess, but but he might not ever cross the line, even if he drinks like crazy every New Year's Eve. It's like Russian roulette with that type. Right. Because it says in here... He may start off as a moderate drinker. In other words, it's saying he may start off not alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So we know now that this thing can be purely genetic, or it can be, um, it can be developed through abuse. That that that, that genetic thing that's laying in wait yes. um, may not be triggered for years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. But but it's there. And, and so, even for somebody like like Brent, okay, and, and I and I'm not saying this to Brent uh, per se, but I'm saying it to people who are relatives of alcoholics, yeah. um, who are drinking moderately. Be careful, because you may have a genetic disposition mm-hmm. that just hasn't been triggered yet. Correct. Right. right. Yes, that makes sense. Um. So that concerns me about the brothers and sisters of that don't behave the way the big book talks about. Maybe someday they might. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would be it, it's kind of like you said, playing Russian roulette. Mm-hmm. Um, because because Tim didn't start out. I mean, the first time he took a drink, he, he wasn't acting the way he did later, right? No, no, yeah. it was it it really progressed. Over time, it, it, like I said, I knew Tim drank. I mean, we kind of all did. You know, we we were in college, we partied a lot, but nothing really seemed to be out of whack. Like I said, until until later, you know, a- after the service, I could kind of tell this isn't right. You know what's going on. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes it both puzzling <clears throat> is because yeah. there is this progression. That takes place, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the same way with me. You know, it, okay. at first I could uh, kind of control this thing, and nobody knew, and I became very good at my uh, job because uh, I needed that because I knew that there was a problem. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like Tim that I could, I was excellent at what I'd done. Mm-hmm. You see, and so and so people would say, you know, they just bypass it then it got worse and then it got worse then i was missing work because of it and uh, those type of things mm-hmm. and uh just, that's why we think that we cross the line mm-hmm. some of us develop it some yeah. of us are born with it mm-hmm. but we have it yeah. and we're the uh, that's why we have to examine ourselves and see if we're one mm-hmm. of the ones that does mm-hmm. and we have to admit it and nobody wants to admit that hopelessness you know that no. inability to to knock it off. We think we can knock it off, but yeah. we can't. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because because our neighbor or our brother, <clears throat> for good reason, said, "Time to grow up." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know. And, and, and I like what you said about the spiritual disease. You know, the the root cause of this thing, even though we're going to talk about an allergy, I think at some point, mm-hmm. we, is this selfish and self-centeredness. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Which is actually, and we can say that openly and freely on, on open forum because we are very Christ-centered on this show. Uh, it actually goes all the way back to the garden, to the fall. Oh, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it, it is a sin issue. Now, it may not be a sin issue in the sense of um, deliberate, I'm going to go out and, and I don't care what you think and, you know, all that kind of But as far as inherent sin from the garden, it is a sin issue. Mm-hmm. All illness is. All sickness is. Uh, because there was a time when that, until the, until the uh, rebellion in the garden, there was a time when none of that existed. Uh, Eve, what about you? Uh, did you develop this thing? Did it did it snap later, or was it something that happened to you right away? Well, you know what? I don't know. And yeah. the, the reason I don't know is because my mom drank and used drugs when she was pregnant with me, and both my parents gave me drugs and alcohol when I was very young, mm. like before be, even being able to walk. They gave me drugs and alcohol and um, would joke about, you know, that I would pass out or fall down when I did start walking because of the alcohol. They did that because they were partying. And so um, the very first time I was offered drugs, I was 12 years old. And here's what happened to me. Um, You know, this is now my peers, because as soon as I was controllable, as in, you know, stay in your room and don't interfere with the party. Right. I imagined I was about four or five at that point. So, you know, there was no no need to do that. Although I do remember every time I was sick, my mom would give me scads of medicine. I mean, a lot of medicine. Um, and, And her motto was, if there's a pill for it, why not take it? You know, as mm-hmm. in modern mm-hmm. medicine has given us these gifts, why not use them? <laughs> but the first time I was, you know, with friends who were druggies, because here I was 12 and most of my friends were like 15 and 16, they offered me um, drugs and I took several of them. They said that I would need to take several of them. And within, you know, I, I just would sat there waiting for something to happen. And I said, I'm not feeling it. I want more. <laughs> There, and that's 12 years old, and then by the time I was 14 in high school, I was taking, my dad was buying um, white lightning from a friend at work, and I was putting that in my thermos and mixing it with grapefruit juice and drinking and getting drunk on at lunch in, in my freshman year. So, and I dreamt, my whole life was drugs and alcohol, it was like, that's all I cared about. And and when I couldn't get it, I was severely depressed. So whether I crossed that line as a toddler, or if I was born with the genetic, I, I've got lots of family members who have died from the disease on both sides of the family. So the genetic predisposition is more likely for me that I had that gene regardless. And my brother is the same way. My brother from the very first time um, he drank or used drugs, he was off and running. And he was not quite as young as I was, but pretty close to it. And he's now, he's dying from alcoholism. I think there's Maybe a lot of similarities in the in the level of destruction that he has with alcohol in particular, and he also escalated after he got got out of the service. And it sounds like maybe my brother and your brother are about the same age. He's four years younger than I am, and uh, and he's was told ten years ago that if he didn't stop drinking, he would die. His liver's distended, and he's still drinking. We don't know how he's doing it, but he can drink. 
you know, 40 cans of beer in, at, at a sitting. And, of course, he won't remember it, remember it, uh, but, uh, and then he's like, he sleeps for like two or three days because he's so, so intoxicated yeah. and, and toxic from that amount of alcohol, but he manages to do it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my story. I don't really know, except yeah. that I know for sure that, uh, you know, the way to, to, differentiate those two that uh, no consequences were ever enough to get me to stop uh i i in my situation you guys it it uh <clears throat> i didn't know it then but i do know it now mm-hmm. uh it it happened immediately um i i poured myself uh a glass of christian brothers brandy the size of a very large party mug <laughs> uh when i was in in junior high school um, and we talk about alcoholic thinking, which is really just self-centered, self-seeking thinking. Mm-hmm. We all, everybody has it. Um, but I was uh, immediately, my instinct was to fill up the largest glass I could find. I had never touched it before. I had never even seen anybody drunk, except the only thing I had seen was that a little bit of brandy helped my dad calm down after a, a day of uh, local politics, and it helped him to to stress out. He never finished a glass, <laughs> and I was a little fat kid getting picked on all the time in school. And, and I thought, well, hey, that works for dad. You know, more is better. At the age of uh, uh, you know, junior high school kid, middle school kid, I I knew instinctively that I should have more. So I poured this huge glass and I chugged it. I'd never seen oh. anybody chug before. Oh yeah. How did I know to do that? I, I did that, and I immediately poured a second one. And and so <clears throat> that phenomenon of craving was immediate for me. And then from then on, it was off to the races. I was sneaking booze in school, uh, you know, the yep. nine yards. And then when Bible college came along, you know, well, it's spiritual to have some wine with dinner, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I had, a ro- I had a roommate who was a, a, a self-proclaimed wine connoisseur. Who kept uh, kept my drinking alive? Uh, thank you very much, Adolf. Um, <laughs> Adolf, you should have known right there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, who, by the way, passed away from a heart mm. heart disease. Uh, but but for, so for me, I, it, I I was able to track that later and, and see how it was immediate. Let, let's talk about the um, what Bruce brought up about the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. Bruce, you want to launch us on that? Yeah, Uh, I think that we can see the allergy of the body when we when we drink, you know, and it's not enough. It's not the amount that we drink; it's what happens, and we want more, you know. So some of us take a a lot of, some of us don't. But we want want more. We just one's not enough. We we get dizzy and we want to drink some more. People get a little woozy and they can't sit in their chairs right and they're ready to go home. You know, they don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that allergy. That's that phenomenon of craving that develops, you know, and uh, uh, it's a manifestation of an allergy. Which never, ever happens in the normal temperate drinker, right? Right. Yeah. And it's a physiological response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now the killer. When we're sober, why do we do this? 
Yeah, because we're not under the influence. Yeah. Well, that's and we why, don't have the phenomenon of craving then. You have no craving because there's no liquor in your body. It's like strawberries. You have, you know, no hives. I haven't ate the strawberry. So Tim's and, sitting uh, with us at dinner. He hasn't drank yet. Yeah. So why did he go drink? So I eat the mm, yeah yes. So I I don't eat strawberries because I know I'll break out knives, but I I'll drink knowing that I I'm going to uh, go on these runs. So why why do I do that? Because I can't stop with reason. See, there's an obsession, and an obsession doesn't conform to reason. This is sober, okay? Yeah. And that's that crazy little thing that tells me that I'll be able to drink and that won't happen. See, and what <clears throat> Brent was talking about was so amazing is that, see, when we was reading that, is that the moderate drinker, uh, with, with reason, they can, they can stop. No obsession. And then the, the heavy drinker, if it, the warning of a doctor becomes operative or those type of things, and they can use their mental facetities, they can stop and moderate. But the real alcoholic can't do that. He can't use that. An obsession does not conform to reason. Mm. An obsession does not conform to reason. It just doesn't. It <clears throat> just by, by definition. Right. So here's a person that is trying to use their thinking where the obsession is to control it, and that's using the problem to solve the problem. Yes. See, and he's just baffled. He doesn't even know why he drinks. Yes. But once he takes the drink, now the allergy, see. The allergy now, takes over for yeah. the obsession. And because, now he goes yeah. on these runs and these sprees. And uh, and then he can't figure out what happened. Right. Okay. And then but, he swears off again. Yeah. And then the it starts all over. Yeah. You get restless, irritable, discontent. Mm -hmm. You get this thinking that started. Mm -hmm. So we have to put something in between that. Yes. And what we're doing, what we put in between that is Christ. Right. Right. Well, let, let me... Alcoholics Anonymous does that. Leads you to that. Supposed to. Mm -hmm. The program does. Mm -hmm. The literature does. Mm -hmm. um, and we've talked at length about what the fellowship doesn't do. Yeah. Uh, but the literature itself, the founders of, of this marvelous program, that's what they taught. Mm -hmm. That's what was taught at Calvary Rescue Mission. That was what, what uh, uh, Reverend Sam Shoemaker was trying to tell people. That's what Ebby Thatcher was trying to explain to Bill Wilson. But the thing I think that's amazing and that I'd like to see the people that... There, we have Brent with us today, and Brent could use reason, and he stopped, and he went and 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 worked. Where his brother seemed to be able to, he's got a job and he could do his job, but he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't stop. Then he yes. went into the service, and boy, we know about the service. Oh. That's just a, a place for. Drunk if you'd like. So so you he's like there my family's the same way I have seven uh seven sisters and four brothers wow and uh <laughs> that's he, enough to make you drink right there right here I am and I and they're wondering why I'm not acting like them yes but see maybe they don't they don't have this see and I don't think it was genetically given to me I think that I I crossed the line somewhere mm. mm -hmm. see I believe that yeah. 
So <clears throat> Tim said something in an email to me before he went into City Team uh, several months before that that just broke my heart. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning this, uh, Brent, because Bruce had said we have to put something in between us and the drink. Because, see, our insanity happens when we're stone cold sober. Um, <clears throat> that that idea that is in, that the book talks about is is in every true alcoholic that that one day we can drink like a gentleman, mm-hmm. and at this time it'll be different. Yeah, the insanity <clears throat> is not the crazy things we do when we drink. No, the insanity is thinking we can drink and those things won't happen. That's the insanity, <laughs> right? That's crazy, right? Right, and pe- because people can have those crazy things happen as a result of their drinking and not be alcoholic. Right, you can get a DUI and not be an alcoholic. Sure. You can lose your family and not be an alcoholic. You know, you can break things and not be an alcoholic. You can get in the hospital with cirrhosis of the liver and not be an alcoholic. Yeah. So it's- I imagine Brent's gotten some trouble. Brent, have you ever gotten in trouble behind alcohol? Uh, only with you, Monty. <laughs> good, good answer, Brent. Yeah. Oh. The only thing I, the only thing I can think of is we brought a four-piece band into our one thousand square foot apartment on the yeah. third floor for a party. Yeah, you did silly things. Mm-hmm. And the police police showed up, and, and then Brent threw a watermelon over the uh, what, what was it four stories up. This kid was was harassing us verbally. This verbally, young, yeah, teenager was saying stuff, and he was down in the bottom at bottom of where the ice plant was. And Brent threw a watermelon at him, and it hit him in the chest. It was see that, that, that. I didn't mean to hit him. <laughs> but you, but you see that what he what we're talking That's... about here is he. He did. He threw a watermelon. He could have gotten a lot of trouble. And, you know, he's participating, but right. he knocks it off. Yes. You know, he he sees. And even if I think he would have got stopped or they would have caught him for throwing this watermelon, that would have it would have come yeah. to to his mind with sufficient mm-hmm. enough force to say, you know what, I got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You see, and and uh, uh, yet here's his brother goes. And here I go, and here you go. Mm-hmm. So why right. is that? Well, I believe that there's a reaction in the body that uh, it's different. It's different. So you you had said uh, we have to put something in between us and <clears throat> and the first drink, and and that uh, is God. That is that is Christ. Now <clears throat> here's a guy in Tim who <clears throat> had a relationship has a relationship with the Lord had turned his will and his life over to Christ years ago, and he says to me, he, he says, Monty, I, I can't even muster up enough strength to ask help of my precious Jesus. And, and it broke my heart to hear that. Here's a guy who has Christ in his life. So <clears throat> why did he still drink? I can relate to that. That's a, I can that's too. My story. I, I can. I too. think it's because maybe the drink was too powerful at the time. But I think a lot of it too is having somebody come alongside of you and to help you and walk with you and disciple you and to help you grow in this uh, Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of people that come to faith, and I think the church has failed. Uh, in the respect of coming alongside of one another and 
and and feeding that new man, the new birth that's taken place. And that's what has to happen for that can uh, say no to the flesh. Mm-hmm. You see right. what I mean? Uh, uh, Brent, you want to respond to that? Well, Bruce, I mean, you're, you're basically talking about discipleship. Yes. Yes, I am. And and I, I, uh, I agree with you. I think that the church has been kind of silent on, uh, you know, a disease that impacts millions of people. And um, it's unfortunate because that would be probably the first place that you would seek help um, when you're ailing spiritually. I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so this... But anybody that becomes new birth, have, you have to feed the new man. Right. You know, you have to take him. You have to to, to disciple him. That they should have a uh, a new desire to seek the Lord, and they'll they'll read the Word and the Spirit. You will all, but you know, you have to have, you have to have those things, and if they don't take place then we have this real tendency, even if we've been discipled, to wander. Mm-hmm. And you know, this this is the thing. Isn't it amazing? <clears throat> There's a thing called uh, the, the parody bill. And uh, this is on, 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 a, on a worldly aspect, uh, but they got it right. <clears throat> the parody bill says that it is illegal for an insurance company to treat somebody who has cancer, who has been in remission, that relapses, that the cancer comes back, versus the alcoholic who has been sober, who relapses, it's it's illegal to treat the alcoholic any differently than the person with cancer. That's the parity bill. Now, your more conservative states, ignore that. And I am a conservative. Sorry, you guys, but you're wrong. Um we, we we have to look at it the same way. And we've done that in the church. <clears throat> we have no problem with somebody coming into a discipleship program who's, who's struggling with divorce, who's struggling with adultery, who's struggling with pornography, uh, 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 smoking, whatever it is. But man, if you're struggling with mental illness, if you're struggling with, with alcoholism or drug addiction, you better get clean and sober, get your act together, get some medication, whatever, and then you can come to the discipleship group. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we, 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 we have missed the boat on that. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> it's just that alcoholism and, and narcotic addiction uh, uh, scream louder. Mm. The, the outward manifestation is more obvious. And so there's the ick. Uh, you know, the ick uh, element, and we don't like that. It makes us feel uncomfortable, you know. Um, <clears throat> and, and we got to get that right. Uh, so <clears throat> in, a, in a case like like Tim, and this is what you've told me, Brent, before. Brent used to tell his brother, uh, what was it you would tell, tell Tim, uh, you know, call me when, you, when you've gotten yourself what? Uh... A sponsor, wasn't it? When you when you when you can think, <laughs> I don't know what did I say. I just, you, you told you know, him. You told him one time. Okay, Tim, I'll tell you what. You I call me serve. when you've got yourself a sponsor. It, 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 oh, oh, yes. Yeah. In, in other in That's other brief. words, Tim, Tim's problem was exactly what Bruce is talking about. <clears throat> he would never place himself under any kind of spiritual authority to be discipled. Okay. He wouldn't do right. it. And he wouldn't go to AA meetings because the, it was so abrasive to him with all the foul language and all the, the, the church bashing and all that. Well, you, you know, what point again Christian wants to be in that environment? So he wouldn't do that. Um, and, 
we would say, well, how's that working for you then, Tim? You know, at least you're getting some structure. You need mm-hmm. to, uh, and finally, and finally, I, what do you think it was that, that finally something happened where he was actually able to put himself under some accountability? I mean, Tim would never do that. What happened? Well, no, he, he did, he, he's been at rehab. I think this is probably his maybe fourth time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, over, over a couple of decades. But um, I think he realizes he's running out of time, and you know when when you are clean and, or when you're when you're sober and you're just trying to reason with yourself, and you're getting up there in some years, you realize I've got to do something. I've just got to do it, mm-hmm. and I don't know what what the trigger was for Tim to say I'm going there, mm-hmm. but. Um, he did it. Did he? Did he mention to you, Montague, what what made him just go up to Oakland? No. no. You know what? What the thing that made me start and that put myself under some accountability is when I realized the hopelessness of the state I was in. Yes. When you actually yeah. realize how mm-hmm. serious this was, then I then I yeah. then I seen my need for a savior. Yeah. yeah. You see, and he, I don't care who you are, whether you're an alcoholic or I think he, he might have a better chance or a sex addict or somebody like that when he knows he can't quit and he knows he needs a savior. Yes. Is, it, is this the first time he has been um, put himself under the direction of a faith-based treatment? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's going to be the difference. He, uh, I... I researched a couple of places for him. Uh, his last uh, attempt was down in L.A., and I don't think he lasted a month. And he said to me, he said, Brent, I can't be around these people. They are, you know, they're, they're, they're court-ordered, and they're, they're, he, didn't, he didn't relate to the people that were around him at all. And, of course, there was no spiritual element. And mm. he got in his car one day and just left. Right. Right. Yeah, sometimes it's harder for those that have had a faith and lost it to return to it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it talks about that in the book, too, in the big yeah. book. I think it is harder for them. For people that have had yeah, a faith in, in God Eve, and then lost it. Eve would know this, yeah. that, yeah. Uh, you know, to uh, uh, come to a resolution of some sort. Well, how did it happen with you, Eve? It's, well, you mean to come into a, a secular program that's not really secular, but yeah. <laughs> the meetings are? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean how did I resolve that? Yeah, Tim Tim had a problem with that. He couldn't do that. I did, too. I came in and I saw <coughs> the word God up there, but it wasn't quite Excuse religious me. enough for my thinking at the time. and. And so I balked. I I thought, you know, none of you people are ever going to talk to me about God. And it wasn't until after my third treatment and a failed suicide attempt that a brand new Christian who had been in recovery for many, many years um, came alongside me. And when I told her, you know, we were going to go through the big book and I said, now this chapter here, we agnostics, we don't need to we don't need to read that because I'm not one. And I'm a born-again Christian like you, and, and I'm all good with that God stuff. And she said, well, 
how's that working for you? Here I was, <laughs> here I was, still dry heaving from a failed suicide attempt and um, getting out of my third treatment, and a Christian at that time for about twenty years, and she's asking me how is that working for me, and what was lacking was relationship. I yeah. uh, I, I had a, a a savior. I had a God that I acknowledged as God, but I didn't have a personal relationship where I had um, turned my will and my life over um, with an attempt to do that at a 100% level every day. Uh, you know, there were times when I I was better at that than other times, you know, depending mm-hmm. on how much time I was spending in the Word or in prayer, but uh, it was nothing that I could ever maintain. I think it's because nobody come beside yeah. you to help you mm-hmm. when uh, when you was was a believer and there was no fruit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. was an alcoholic. <clears throat> yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we're known by our fruit and by our love for the brother. Yes, and so and that wasn't apparent. Mm-hmm. Well, we we are out of yeah, time. We're believers. <clears throat> we're out of time, guys. Um, but before we uh, bring on board uh, this week's song. Uh, and Brent, any closing thoughts from you, buddy? Uh, well, you know, from kind of coming from a perspective of a family member, I, I just, you know, I, I didn't realize, Monty, until, until uh, you introduced me to the recovery process in the sense that I, I just, I didn't know about it. I, I hadn't educated myself. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I encourage family members, whoever you are, that are that are dealing with um, with alcoholism in the family, um, is to you know seek out knowledge and get get educated about the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go online, uh, go to Take Twelve Radio, you know, go to attend AA meetings, uh, whatever it takes, because you know, educating yourself is. Um, is really important. It, it's it's whether or not it, it affects you, uh, it, it, whether or not you think it affects you, it really does. And uh, we kind of become sick um, with the alcoholic. You know, yeah, we, we we're not we're not drunk, stumbling around, but we're as family members, we can be sick. And uh, so, educating yourself is is like really key. Yeah. Yeah, because we can, <clears throat> uh, the family member, because we hear it all the time, well, why should I miss my TV show, you know, to go to that meeting? That's It's his problem or her problem. That's right. Just because there are horses but two, why should I have to give up? Well, the deal of it is, is this thing is contagious. It does wear off on you um, in a different kind of way, <clears throat> but the family becomes sick too. I think he's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And that that might not get the alcoholic clean, but it you'll learn to uh, deal with him in a different manner that might be helpful. A, comp- a compassionate. Yeah. Do 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 you ha- you find yourself having more compassion towards your brother than you did uh, a couple of years ago? Huge. Yeah. Huge. I mean, you know, and you almost have to let go. You know, I I didn't even know what the word enabling meant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, big one. Yeah. So I had I had to go through a process myself to even deal with it, and you know, the, you know, spiritually, it it's liberating to to 
you say, I can't fix Tim. Mm-hmm. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter how much money I put towards it, it is not going to make him well. Only Tim and his Savior is going to do that. Amen. Yeah, right on. Yeah. You guys, any closing thoughts? No. Well, this has been really good, um, Brant. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your heart. I know it wasn't the most comfortable thing for you to do, um, but... <clears throat> You are a member of the Take 12 family, and, and uh, just stepping up to the plate and sharing this means a great deal to us. I'm glad I could be here, Monty. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Brent. Yes, yes, I, I think you've nailed it, and uh, I hope that you uh, uh, develop that uh, relationship with your brother that you always wanted. Thank yeah. you. Amen. <clears throat> well, don't hang up, Brent. We're going to listen to this song. Uh, now, even though <coughs> we know that uh, that Brent is um, not an alcoholic, um, we also know that Brent is not a normie. Because <laughs> <laughs> What's a normie? Yeah, really. Because it, we, we, we shoot that term around a lot in, in our 12-step support meetings. Uh, but the tr- if the truth be known, there are no normies. <laughs> uh, everybody's got something that they need to lay at the foot of the cross every day. Uh, everybody's got something they're powerless over, left to their own devices. Whether whether it's biting their fingernails, whether it's gossip, which can be very destructive. Um, whether it's uh, an eating disorder or just improper thinking. Thoughts that can become very destructive and lead into behaviors that that can kill. Everybody's got something. So this song, I'm dedicating this to Brent. (laughs) This is actually from uh, an album that was uh, made for kids in recovery. And when I say kids, I mean kids, you know, that are not even in their teens yet. But it is so appropriate for adults. It really is. This is by Dr. Peter Alsop, and it is Songs on Recovery and Addiction for Children, which really we know in watching animated shows these days and stuff, you know, the adults have more fun with it than the kids do most of the time. Uh, but this is this is a whole lot of fun. We'll play it, we'll come back, and then we'll sign off. So here is No One's Normal. No one's normal, you know that. Everyone's a little fat. One's normal, look and see, we're all a little crazy. You think you know somebody who's completely normal through and through. They're hiding all their crazy stuff. You just don't know them well enough. Sarah clips her fingernails and saves them in a little box. Wooly says he talks to whales, and Allison wears plastic socks. Hector likes bean curds and sardines, eats them when there's no one there. Susan sleeps out in the garden, Tony will not comb his hair. Arthur has to have 12 crackers every time, no more, no less. Darlene loves the Green Bay Packers, Billy Joe prefers dress. Charlene thinks her knees look ugly, Wendell's nose is always sore, Dino's pants fit him too snugly, Mike eats popcorn off the floor. No one's normal, you know that, everyone's a little fat. No one's normal, look and see, we're all a little crazy. 
You know you're special down inside, but there's some things you've learned to hide from all the other people who are hiding special things from you. Megan burps from ginger ale, and Willow likes to suck on soap. Franklin is a tattletale, and Rachel knows your horoscope. Jackie breathes with her mouth open, Sam's allergic to clean clothes. Donna wants to be the Pope, Sanford always picks his nose. Walter sweats when he drinks water, Mary Jo blinks all the time. Anne will hug you for a quarter, Matt will kiss you for a dime. Tanya's leg will not relax, and Heather has no little toe. Howard's ears are full of wax, and Andy ate some yellow snow. Angela acts rich and snooty, Phyllis is the teacher's pet. Boris always does his duty, Greta screams when she gets wet. Barry built some giant speakers, and now he doesn't hear too well. Olive sleeps in her old sneakers, she claims that her feet don't smell. No one's normal, you know that. Everyone's a little fat. No one's normal, look and see. I love the special ways we are So strange and different, so bizarre I'm glad there's no one else like me Cause one's enough, don't you agree? Come on! No one's normal, you know that Everyone's a little fast No one's normal, look and see We're all a little crazy my special thanks to Brent Cook, a member of our advisory board, ED, also a member, Bruce H., and all of you who tuned in uh, this week, we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. I